0: Sometimes there's some things that you can't get unless you go through suffering. And so and I know you, some of you look at me like, okay, that's a lot of good words or whatnot. But I'm telling you as a Christian, it's difficult to have a bad year. Yeah, you can have sometimes you look back and say, gosh, I wish I never had to go through that. But if you're looking at it through the eyes of Christ, it was all used to conform you into the image of Christ. The only, actually, let me tell you, the only way you could have a bad year as a Christian is if you didn't grow from it. Wow. If you allowed it to pull you back. And so with that being said, I'm excited for 2018, and I'm excited for all that God is going to do. I'm excited for 2017, the good, the bad, and everything else in between. Um, How many of you guys have ever been in an awkward conversation? I talk about those often. Men, how many times has your wife tried to sit you down with her best friend's husband? And while they're having a great time... Um, and they're just talking, you know, like they've never missed the beat. You and the husband are looking each other in the eye, thinking, thinking, to yourselves. We, I don't know what to say. Has anybody ever been in that situation? I remember it's a long time ago. Uh, my wife, we went out to uh, with one of her friends, and um, and we went out to uh, Sacramento, and we got a chance to hang out. It was a great time, and we were dating at the time. And if there's any daters in here, you know that the best friend is the most important person, right? I mean, if you want to get, you want to be on the in, you got to meet the best friend, and hopefully by the time you walk away, the best friend texted like, I like him, you know, he's a good guy, right, and so, uh, and so, anyways, that being said, we all had went out, and, um, and we went out with her, you know, her, one of her friends, and her friend's husband, and um, the first couple of hours, they were catching up, and they were having a great time, yeah, we were there for hours, uh, the first, they were catching up, they're having a great time, and I remember, um, they were just, you know, like, it, like, having skipped a beat, and me and the husband were kind of looking at each other, and we were just kind of like, what's up? What's up? So, how are you? I'm good. You know, and after about two minutes, there's nothing else to talk about. And they're just sitting there chatting it up. And we're just, and then I remember like, well, you know what? We're going to get in the car, and we're going to drive over to this place, and then you guys can chill over here. And I was just, in my heart, and my face is like, yeah, my mind. I was like, no, please. Don't do that, babe. And, uh, and I remember uh, they left, uh, the, the husband and I, at, I think it was a Walmart, And I looked at him, and I was like, well, you want to go to the toy section? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, yeah. And so we went to the toy section, and we got to the toy section, and we started to look around, right? And then he was like, do you like Star Wars? And I'm like, Yeah. Do you like He's like, yeah. We, and then we started talking about Star Wars. We started getting the action, the figurines. And then we started, it t- turns out he's a gamer. And he liked to play certain type of games that I like to play. We started. And then all of a sudden, the, the wives came back and they were done. And we were just getting started, you know. And uh, so thank God, you know, it turned out. But how many of you guys know, more oftentimes than not, it doesn't always turn out that way. And uh, I want, But I want you to hear me out. Awkwardness is the result of a lack of relationship. When you are when you are not when you are not in a relationship with somebody, you, have to, you almost have to be surface because you really don't know what they like, what they don't like, and there's not a lot of commonalities. And so it can get awkward sometimes because for the most of most part, all of us in here, um, we're not good at being surface. You ever had a conversation, you just know you're being surfaced in that conversation, and you're just... I, I panic. Like, I honestly panic. In my head, I'm like, man, I got about eight questions, and if they answer them really quickly with no commentary, we're going to be stuck, you know? And so, um, but one of the things that I really wanted to kind of just kind of point out is that I, awkwardness... Is, is the result of a lack of a relationship. And we are, uh, nobody in here is good at being surface. We don't like to be surface. Our preference is to be with somebody that we know. Our preference is to have a dialogue with someone that we understand who they are and they understand who we are. Sometimes and it, it, some of our best friends are those people we could just sit down together and not talk at all and not feel awkward you know that you're comfortable with somebody when they come over your house and not say a word, and you both don't feel like you got to hold a conversation. It's like some of you don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to tell you, sometimes I don't want to talk because I talk up here all the time. And sometimes I just want to sit down and relax. And there's certain people you call over, and you know that they're going to talk, right? We call them emotional vampires. I know there's none in here. But, you know, they, they'll go in, and before you know it, you're t- I mean, they've just took the life out of you, right? But then there are certain friends, you just know each other, and you're so comfortable. You call them over and literally watch TV or chill and not say anything for about two hours, and you guys are totally cool. You don't feel like you have to keep that conversation up. And, uh, you know, I bring, I bring all that up to say that, um, you know, our relationship with God, our communication with God as Christians, as followers of Christ is so important, And sometimes our conversation, our communication can be surfaced with God. And if I want to say in 2017, if you struggled to have a conversation with God, if there were too many awkward silences in your relationship with God, then there's probably a reality that there's a relationship issue. You might not know him as much as you think you do. Or he may not know you as much as you think. You you might not have that. And when I say he doesn't know you, he knows you well. But what I'm saying is coming together in a secret place. That's not something that you and him do often. And we know that he waits for us. And so most likely it lands on us to go to that place. And a lot of times the same awkwardness that we have with our wife's husband is the same awkwardness that we have with God. And so in 2018, I wanted to really challenge and inspire you this morning to begin to grow deeper in your relationship with God. I'm going to tell you something. The two primary necessities in your life with Christ are letting God speak to you and you speaking back to him. Letting God speak to you and you speaking back to him. And as you look back at 2017, you look forward to 2018, I really want to encourage you to live a life that seeks to hear God and speak to God. And I want to tell you this, and here's a real kind of just a real simple tip, real quick. When God speaks to you, it's primarily through his word. When God speaks to you, it's primarily through his word. If you want to hear God speak, then open up his word and begin in 2018 begin to begin to become a studier of his word. And the primarily in the primarily way, the primary way that you speak to God is through prayer. And so as he speaks to you through his word, you then begin to speak back to him and communicate to him in prayer. You know, a life that lacks consistent devotion through the word and a life that lacks consistent devotion through, through prayer is kind of genuinely, generally, genuinely lacking relationship with God. And I want you guys to know this morning is, and I want you kind of, as I get into this message this morning, I want you guys to kind of, Ask yourselves this question. Do I know God or do I know of God? Do I know God or do I know of God? Uh, Young adults and youth, if you're in here this morning, do you know the God of your parents? And do you know him personally? Is he your parents' God? And you're kind of just kind of here because they're here. I want to challenge you in 2018 to make the relationship that your parents have with God your own. Look, you are not going to get this thing. And you are not going to be able to move forward in victory until he becomes your God and not just mom and dad's God. And I'm kind of writing, writing the coattails along the way. I'm telling you, he has something for you. And you're missing out on it when you're not pursuing that relationship for yourself. And so I just really want to challenge you this morning and really challenge you in the a month of January um, concerning your relationship with God. And so if there's any New Year's resolution in 2018 worth making, you know, before um, losing weight, amen. Because usually that's kind of the top of their list, our, our list. You know, so if there's any New Year's resolution in 2018 worth making before losing weight, before finding a man, uh, it should be getting closer to Jesus, right? So I really challenge you in 2018 to make this year the year that you begin to study God's Word deeper and the year that you really learn to pray. And so, for the next several weeks, if you'll be joining us, we're going to kind of go deeper into prayer in January. We're going to take January, every Sunday in January, just to discuss what it is to pray. And so, this morning, um, this morning, we're just going to we're going to talk about when the disciple came to Jesus and said, "Teach us to pray." And so this morning, we're going to talk about being taught to pray in 2018, and we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. Next Sunday, we're going to discuss prayer that works, praying the will of God. If you want to pray answered prayers, you pray his will. And so we'll talk about that next week. And the following Sunday, we're going to talk about when God says no. Uh, and we have to prepare, how do we respond to that? What does that feel like and what does that look like? And how, how do we, when God says no, how do we adjust to that? That's pretty much self-explanatory. And finally, we're going to finish this prayer, se- prayer series off with the greatest prayer that I believe was ever prayed for you and I. It's when Jesus prayed for me when Jesus prayed for you. And so we're going to kind of take four weeks to look at that. So this morning, um, let's talk about, teach us to pray in 2018. If you have your Bibles, um, we'll also flash it for you here on the screen. But if you have your Bibles, why don't you take, um, open up to Luke chapter 11, um, verses 1 through 4. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. And I'm going to pray to start us off this morning. So, Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you and we honor you as a church. We honor you for everything that took place in 2017, even the negative stuff. Lord, as we learn to use that to be built up instead of torn down. And Father, we look forward to 2018, we look forward to drawing closer to you through prayer and through the study of your word. I pray that you would speak to every heart, every mind in this building. And I pray that your will will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's read Luke chapter 11. I'll read this to you and you just follow along. Uh, verses 1 through 4. And we'll kind of stay in that pocket for this morning's message. So scripture reads like this. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. And he said to them, this is Jesus, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Again, Jesus says Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Now, before Jesus actually recites the prayer or teaches the prayer, kind of four lessons, four powerful lessons emerge before Jesus even begins to teach. And I, I, I want to show you this. The first thing I want to say is this. And if you're taking notes, I'm going to make this really succinct for you. Um, so that you could actually go home and begin to just meditate on what it looks like to pray. The first one is this. Prayer can be learned. In fact, prayer should be learned. You know, despite what many of you may think, prayer doesn't come natural to us. In fact, I don't want you to feel bad if you've been attending church for a while and you still don't feel like you know how to pray. If the apostles needed to learn, if the disciples needed to learn, then so do you and I. And so really instead of calling it the Lord's Prayer, we really should look at this as the disciples' prayer. The second thing I want to tell you, the second lesson that we learned kind of right off the top is this. Actions speak louder than words, and we all know this, but let me explain to you in context. Jesus' prayer life inspired the life of his disciples. Jesus' prayer life inspired the life of his disciples. Jesus didn't just talk about prayer, but he demonstrated a life of prayer. In fact, so deep and so meaningful and so rich was his prayer time that the disciples approached him about it. And what this disciple was essentially saying was, Jesus, when it comes to prayer, we want what you have. When you come out of your prayer closet, you look different. When you pray, you sound different. You know, as a husband... You know, as a father and as a pastor, I'm challenged by this. I'm challenged by this. And here's why. I ask myself, does my prayer life inspire people? Does my prayer life inspire people? Is my prayer life an example to those God has called me to lead? And here's another question. Is my prayer life, never mind everyone else, is my prayer life so dynamic that it inspires me to continue to pray? Is my prayer life so dynamic? Is my relationship with God so valuable to me that I make it a priority? Or do other things take its place? And do I go months and do I go weeks and I haven't spent time with the Lord because it's boring or it's not valuable because it's not dynamic? And forget about inspiring my son and my daughter and my husband and my wife. Am I even inspired to pray? Is my prayer life dynamic enough to excite me to pray more? Or is it stale? Is it inconsistent? And I said, am I showing my son, Philip, and my wife, Jamila, that dad goes to God first? Am I showing my son and my wife that dad goes to God first? Or am I teaching them that God is my last resort? Can Can I ask you that? Can I challenge you with that today? Is your prayer life at home, what is it teaching your children about who God is? You see, when it comes to discipleship, I want you guys to hear this. Some things are caught just as much as they're taught. In fact, there are some things that are caught more than they're taught. Your, your walk with Christ, your prayer life, your what you do, your disciplines and your daily routine, believe it or not, your children are watching. It's so crazy because Philip is about, he's almost going to be three. And he's a, about four months away from being three. And uh, he copies everything we do and say. Okay, I was expecting somebody to laugh at that. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. And I, 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 it's funny because my, sister, uh, my, sister, <laughs> my wife made a video. And I'm working out, again, I don't work out, so I'm not trying to take any credit for this. My lower back has really been kind of killing me for the last couple of years so I'm like trying to do these like the last couple of weeks I'm trying to like how can I get up and do some training to kind of get my core a little better and and I'm doing these stretches and she comes in she's videotaping cuz Philip is right by me and he's on his and he's trying to do the same thing you know and he's like He's like, you know, and it's so funny because he's got, I'm like, I'm so, I'm, I'm not going to do it for you. But, you know, I'm on the ground like stretching out like this. And Phillips is kind of like this, you know. And, and he's just doing all these crazy things. And, like, and, and when I talk and say things, he's talking and saying the same stuff. And I'm like, babe, we can't talk about people anymore. <laughs> They're going to find out. <laughs> but I, I, want you, I want you to know, that there, if our children are listening to our vocabulary, if our children are watching our actions and picking up on them and even mimicking them, then how, how much are we held accountable as fathers and as mothers to teach them how to pray? To teach them how to read their word. And you say, well, they're too young to teach. Well, are they seeing you do it? I remember I used to wake up and I used to hear my mom crying out to the Lord in her room. Two things would happen. The first thing was Fear. Because I felt like God might be telling her something about me. And so I would kind of stay there and listen just a little bit longer. Because thank God she prayed out loud. And I'd be like, you know, did he tell her that, you know. But the second thing, and I didn't know what was happening inside of me, was that I was learning to pray. I was learning to pray. And later on in life... When it came down to begin to pray, I just really felt an ability to be able to express my heart. I, I felt an ability to be able to express my emotions. And I didn't, I, I didn't really think twice about it. And I realized it's not, because, um, not, it's not because it came natural to me. It's because it's something that I caught. And it's something that my mother had displayed. And I, I'm, I'm harping on this as, as men and women of God because I want you to know that your prayer life is not just for you, but it's also for those that are watching. And so I am extremely, I am extremely um, challenged by this. Third thing that I I really want to kind of pull out is don't underestimate the power of praying in a certain place. So Jesus was praying, Scripture says, in a certain place. And it's true. I want you to hear this. As Christians, we're reminded to pray everywhere without ceasing. Amen? You know, I pray while I'm driving. I pray while at the grocery store. I'm always talking to God. But I fear, and please hear me out, I fear that too many of us has used the anytime, time, any place concept as an excuse to reject a specific time and a certain place. We can't use the any time, any place as an excuse to reject a certain time and certain place of our prayer life. What do I mean by that? There are moments when I'm discipling people. There are moments when I'm challenging people. I'm interacting with people, and the first thing I say is, hey, how's your prayer life? And I can always tell it's a little rough because they kind of giggle a little bit and they kind of, you know, look around. And they kind of, well, you know, it's a, they kind of look for some words. And then ultimately, uh, sometimes what I end up hearing is, and again, I'm not against this. Please don't hear me. I'm not against this. But uh, what I end up hearing is this. Well, you know what? Um, usually when I'm driving in my car, you know, I get up in the morning. I get up and I get in my car and I'm on my way to work. I pray. You know, I take a shower. You know, and while I'm in the shower, I just begin to pray, right? And if you've been a discipler or you've been discipled, you've given that excuse or you've heard that excuse before. And honestly, I really do get it. But here's what I want to say is we can't use the excuse of any time, any place to replace the certain time and a specific place that God wants to meet you with. Again, I said this. Don't get me wrong. I love the fact that we're communicating God all the time. I love it. But I want you to know that sometimes we could use an excuse. Prayer could be on our list of things to do, just like our laundry list. It just becomes part of the chores of life. And um, can we learn, if God is the God of the universe, can we learn to make time for him? Can we not, can 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 we not allow things to compete with God? Uh, Jesus said this in Matthew. He says, when you pray, go into the room and shut your door. And pray to your God who's in, pray to your Father who's in a secret place. And a God who's in a secret place will hear you. Are you guys with me? I want you to get this concept of shutting doors. God wants you to shut doors when you go to him. And what do I mean? I don't just mean literal doors. But you know what I mean by shutting doors? I mean, like, turn your Facebook off. Turn all your windows off. Turn your computer screen off. Leave your phone back at home. Take certain time and a certain place to meet with God and shut all the doors. Shut the doors of your life. You know, and even if your wife, your husband's there, let them know, I'm shutting you off for about an hour or two because I'm meeting with God. Maybe you don't want to say it like that. Maybe it's more like, honey, I'm going to go on a prayer walk. Shut the doors. Yeah. Concentrate. He's not someone, well, you know, I'm just going to kind of on my way to work, God. By the way, I'm just going to say a couple of things, and as I, someone cuts me off in traffic, I'll flip them off, but I'm still praying, right? No, here's what he wants you to do. He says, make time for me. Yeah. Spend every day with me and spend every waking moment of me, but I want to spend time with you. Shut the doors and show me that I'm a priority in 2018. Or are you not a follower of Christ? Somebody's got to be getting convicted in here because I know for a fact that our prayer life is difficult to manage. Because I know as a pastor it is. I'm convicted by this. You know, and if you're, any, if you're like me, I'm antsy. I can't stay still. Are there any people in here who can't stay still? Like I, I walk around, I can't stay still for a little bit. And so I don't go into a prayer closet, right? I can't just shut the door and get on my knees and be on there for an hour. And so here's what I'm suggesting to you. If you're an antsy person or if you, man, take a walk, If that certain place for you is a, for me, it's a trail. For me, it's a walk. I walk to a particular park in my neighborhood, and while I'm walking, I spend time with him. I sit under a tree. I read his word, and we fellowship together. Um, There are other times when I'm really struggling, I really just need a breakthrough. I'll drive out to Niles Canyon, and I'll follow my favorite pathway, and I'll hike all the way up to a spot. I'll listen to worship. I'll find my spot. I'll get in my word, and I'll pray. If you need to do something to spicing it up, do it. But whatever you do, don't ignore it. Are you with me? I feel like I'm by myself this morning. Okay, thank you. And you know me, I'm not usually like shout back to me type of guy, but I really, this is so important. I love it when Jesus says, shut the door, leave the phone off, turn the computer off, spend some time with Jesus. I challenge you in 2018, make room in your schedule for intentional space with God. Can you, you know, just write that down. Make room for intentional space with God in 2018. Ask the Holy Spirit to help prayer to become a desire and not an obligation. You guys know the difference between a desire and an obligation? An obligation is something that I have to do. A desire is something I want to do. And I'm going to tell you something. Prayer is not something that you usually want to do unless the Holy Spirit is inspiring you to do it. And so we need to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, help me to love prayer. And I want to tell you, it becomes a desire when you and the Father become to have it, when you start to have a relational interaction with Him. Are you with me? And so the last thing that I want to say, and then we're going to kind of go speed right through this. But the last thing I want to say regarding uh, the Lord's Prayer. uh, The Lord's Prayer is a script to recite, but it's also an outline to guide us. So many of you have probably, uh, you're probably familiar with the Lord's Prayer. And some of you probably know it by heart, yeah? And some of you may even pray it out loud all the time. I want to tell you there's a blessing in that. And as a follower of Christ, I love to do both. I love to pray the prayer and recite it verbatim, but I also don't want you to neglect the outline that this prayer is. That this prayer also can inform and outline your prayer time. Some of you say, you know what, I go into prayer with God, I, I spent about five minutes, I'm not even sure what to say anymore. I want to say that's awkwardness, and that's because there's a lack of relationship. And so this morning, as we teach you to pray, we're going to use this prayer to be an outline so that it can draw you into deeper, longer prayer. Amen? So let's listen to the prayer again, and then we'll continue. Jesus said this, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now Jesus outlines for us five requests. That will help guide us into a much fuller prayer time. Are you ready? Here are the five requests. Number one, pray his name. Number two, pray his kingdom. Number three, pray your bread or our bread number four pray our forgiveness and number five pray our shielding from temptation now before we dig into these requests i want to make two brief observations first notice the nature of the requests two are regarding god's interests and three are regarding your needs now i want you to hear this more room is made in the prayer for our needs in god's interests Right? Two of them are regarding God's interests, and three of them are regarding your need. More room is made in the prayer for your need than God's interest. Stay with me. The idea that we serve a distant and disconnected God is false. God is a good God. God is a good God. Are you with me? He is not distant. He is not far away. He's not not inclined to listen, but he wants you to come before him and give your need to him. God loves to hear our hearts. He loves to hear our petitions. Remember we talked about emotional vampires, God would probably not describe anybody that way. He wants you to come to him. He never gets tired. Your pastor may get tired. Your, your mom and dad may get tired. Your friend may get tired. Say, stop talking to me. I'm going to hang up. And you, you ever try to get a hold of somebody, you're going through something. Anybody ever try to call somebody, Said, I wish they would answer the phone, I'm going through something. I wish somebody would just answer their phone. It's 2 in the morning. Your friends aren't answering. Your parents aren't answering. Your pastor isn't answering. You're angry. You're upset. And God's saying, come to me. I want you to know this. The next time they don't answer, it's because maybe the Lord saying, come to me. Come to me. God's not distant. And you know what? God will never turn you away. He'll never turn you away. Now I want you to hear this second, and this is important. Even though God makes room, makes more room in our prayer for our need, he still wants to make his desires priority. I'm going to say this again. Even though God makes more room in our prayers for our needs, he still desires that we make his interest our priority. His name and his kingdom come first. His name and his kingdom come first. And when we practice this in our prayer life, it will spill out into our whole life. You see, when we pray, when we pray his will, we pray his name and his kingdom first. When we pray it first, it will spill out. When our prayer life, when it's practiced in our prayer life, it will begin to be practiced in our whole life. And I want you to see this. Here is the priority of prayer. God's interest first and then our needs second. He makes more room for your needs, but he wants his interest to be a priority in your life. And here's the amazing part. When God can entrust us with his interest, we can trust him with our need. When we pray his interest, he begins to supply our needs. When we put him first, he'll then come in. You see, because his interest will always be your best interest. Are you with me? So here it is, five prayer requests to make your prayer life fuller in 2018. Here it is. Number one, pray his name. Pray his name. If you're looking to pattern a prayer, if you're looking to go deeper in prayer, start by entering into a presence by praying his name. When we enter into that place of prayer with God, we're entering into communion with a person who has a name. His name means his personhood. He's not a, he is not a genie in a bottle, but he is there ready to hear and ready to respond. And I love this. When we step into the presence of God, we're entering into communion with a person who carries the heart of a father and who carries the awe of God. I want you to know this. When you pray his name, you're stepping into the presence of someone who carries the heart of a father and who carries the awe of God. Let me explain. It's mind-blowing to think that the creator of the entire universe wants you and I to address him as dad. Jesus says, when you pray, a father... Address him as dad when we come into his presence. And I want you to know this. And I want you to hear this. Why? There's a difference between a son entering a house and a stranger or an acquaintance. (laughs) Now, let me give you a little side note. When Philip comes to my house, he can come in. He can take off his shoes. He can watch TV. He can go to my refrigerator. He can open it up. And he can pull out anything he wants in the refrigerator. Why? Because everything that's mine is his. When you come to my house, you don't do that. Look, I love you guys. You're my church and, I, and your family. But if you come into my house and you sit on my chair and you go into my refrigerator and grab my drink and you make food from my cabinet and you haven't asked my permission, it doesn't matter who you are, how close we are, I'm going to look at you sideways. That's inappropriate. But when you're my son, you can do it. And when you step into the presence of God, God's saying, look, I'm the father, and you come in, you step into my presence, you are stepping into my presence as a son. Now, look, Jesus is the son. We're all just adopted sons. Jesus is the real son. But because of what Jesus did, we can now walk into the father's presence as sons. And so whatever the father has access to, we have access to. What's his is mine in the name of Jesus. Are you with me? Is anybody excited about that? And so when I say, when I go into my prayer life and I refer to him as my father, I'm referring that there's a comfortability I have with God because of what Jesus did. I am mind blown that the God of the universe allows us to step into his presence and say, dad, are you with me? Now watch. I'm not going to stop there. Because it would be a little heretical if I did. Even though he's father, he's still God. And so Jesus says, Father, hallowed be your name. His holiness requires us to be careful and not casual in his presence. And so although we are sons and daughters walking in the presence of a father, the presence of that father is still to be revered. He's still holy. And we are to be reverent. And we are to be in awe that a holy God will allow us to come in like a son. And so the dynamic is interesting. We walk in with the comfort of knowing that this is my dad, but we also walk in with the fear of saying this is also God. Wow. And he has allowed me to enter into his presence as though he's my father. Yeah. You know, a quick little story. Me and my dad, I think we were in Reno. I'm not even sure what we were doing there, dad. Um, <laughs> I know. We were in Reno. Do you remember? And there was a little tiger. They had these. Oh, yeah. Was it a tiger? Yeah. I don't, they probably would never do this anymore, right? But they had this little—you could pet this thing. Was it? You could get close to it. It's—it was a while. I was a little kid. I mean, don't ask me why you got a tiger outside. And I, I promise you, some of you like—I think there's even a picture of it that I have. But I think maybe you take a picture close to it. I don't think you could pet it. You know, us preachers, we make stuff up as we go. But I promise you, you could run this by my parents. I promise you, but. Have you ever been at the zoo or have you ever been in a place where maybe there's like some sort of something that's blocking you, but you, you're getting close? And so there's this awe that comes over you. And the awe is this, is that I'm in the presence of something that could destroy me, but it's not be, I'm not being destroyed. I'm in the presence of something greater, bigger, and stronger than I am. And there's an awe and a fear there, but there's an excitement because I, that doesn't happen normally. And somebody like, I'm going to crack a quick picture. I'm going to put it on Facebook so everyone can see. I was just in the presence of something greater than me. I took a picture and it didn't kill me. And look, I'm not saying it's fully like this. What I'm saying is your heavenly father, the creator of the universe, the stars and the galaxies, allows you and me to come into his presence and call him dad. And the beauty of that is is this. I have the comfortability of being a son, but the fear of knowing that I'm in the presence of something bigger than me. And what I'm doing right now in this moment, I should not take lightly. I should not take it for granted. It should not be something casual. Are you with me? What a beautiful thing Christ has made. He's gone to the cross. And the separation between you and God has now been torn away. The veil's been torn. And what could only happen once a year by a high and holy priest now has been, can happen for all of us. For all those that are in Christ Jesus. Here's the amazing thing. Can I say something convicting? If your prayer life is not consistent, you're a Christian, then you're not taking advantage of the blood of Jesus. He made a way. All of Israel could never dare step foot in the presence of God. And even the most holiest man who could do it once a year, I could read off to you all the things he had to do. How many times he had to bathe, wash, he had to watch what he ate. He had to put a bell around his ankle because if he fell dead, they had to pull him out with a rope. Do we understand what Jesus has done for us? And so he's father, but his name is to be hallowed. His holiness requires us to be careful and not casual with his presence. He's not a magic wand, amen. Right? He's not a genie in the bottle. He's he, you know, he's dad, but he's not your sugar daddy. And so when we step into his presence, we step in. Humbly, carefully, and thankfully with a heart of worship. Are you with me? When we pray, we are praying to a God who wants the relational closeness of a father. But he wants to give you that without jeopardizing the worship and reverence of a holy God. Can we be people who come into his presence relationally as dad... But worshipful, knowing that He's God. Knowing that although He's given me this private time with Him, I'm standing in the presence of something bigger, greater, and higher than I. And there's fear and trembling that come with that. Secondly, you pray His name, you pray His kingdom. God's kingdom refers to God's rule or his reign. One of the best kind of definitions I've heard about the kingdom of God is this, it's God's jurisdiction. Now, not that the God of the universe is restricted in any way, but the curse of sin still currently is active. Amen? So when we pray the kingdom of God, we're praying for something that is in and out, present and future. That's weird. When you pray the kingdom of God, you're praying something that's in and out, present and future. How do I mean? Let me explain that. The kingdom of God is within. When we pray, we pray that God's reign, when we pray his kingdom, we pray his jurisdiction, his reign starts in my mind and my heart. Lord, when I pray your kingdom, the first thing I do is I pray that the jurisdiction of your word, your righteousness, will be first fulfilled in my heart and in my mind. I pray that the Holy Spirit will produce inside of me the fruit of the Spirit. And that in every situation, whether good or bad, that you would use it to conform me into the image of Christ. Uh, You know, there are many times when I'm going through something in my life and I go into prayer with God. I can remember seasons where I'm going through something... Because I'm actually having a debate or an argument or a fight with somebody. There's something that I need to confess before the Lord. There's a tension that I'm having with a brother or sister in Christ. And I remember at times going into prayer, sitting with God, and processing with him. I just say, you know what, I'm so, you know, I'm so upset. I'm so offended by this. And I begin to list all of the, all my offenses, they said this, they did this, right? Because when you're offended, you keep records of wrongs, don't we? Yeah. Don't we got records? Some of y'all got records against each other in here. And you can, psh, here you go. I got 20 things that you did. And some, you know what's funny is half of that list, they don't even know they did it. Ain't nobody doing it on purpose. And you totally thought that they did it on purpose, right? That's just how things work. And I remember going for the Lord with my list. And, and, and I was certain I was not in the wrong, I was like Jesus. I said no word. I just took it, right? I was I was in tr- under trial, and they were whipping me, and they looked at me, and yet I did not say a word. I was a martyr for Christ for His kingdom. This person is wrong, and they're off, and they know it. And I have all these people that got my back, and according to the, you know what I mean, like I'm, a, and I'm in Lord, you know, praying and fasting. They did this, and help me with this and that. And I want to tell you something. Here's really crazy is that um, here's a cool thing about our prayer life is as I'm crying out to the Lord and he begins to speak and we begin to process and dialogue back and forth, I begin to see the Lord conforming me into the image of Christ in that situation, in that circumstance. And as my records of wrongs come up, you know what the Holy Spirit begins to do? He begins to humble me. And I begin to see areas where I am not justified. And as much as this person has hurt me, and and I can feel the Lord saying, yes, I know, yes, I know, but. Yes, I know, I know, yes, but. And as I pray as I pray and as I process, here's what here's what comes. When you leave the prayer closet, you don't become more prideful, you become more humble. You don't go higher, you go lower. And you walk out, and you don't walk out carrying the blame, but you walk out of it with a forgiveness in your heart, knowing that you yourself are not perfect. You walk out able to forgive someone else because the Lord humbled you and said, hey, wait a minute. I get it, but you're not perfect neither. You're not righteous neither. There are some things, if you really want to admit, you did do this on purpose. You come out a humble man. A praying man is a humble man. A praying woman is a humble woman. Are you with me? And so when you begin to pray the kingdom of God within, he begins to produce fruit of humility inside of you. The kingdom of God is within. The kingdom of God is without. I love this. When you pray the kingdom of God, you should be prepared to share the gospel. And demonstrate the gospel of the world around us. Because when we pray the kingdom of God within, the gospel changes us. When we pray the kingdom of God without, the gospel transforms us to go and begin to spread that peace and that joy and that love. I love it. The kingdom of God is present. It's present in the church. The presence of the kingdom of God here on earth is through the church of Jesus Christ. I love what Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 through 11 says about the mystery revealed through the church. It says this, through the church the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. God has entrusted the church to reveal Christ's redemptive purposes to the word. When I pray God's kingdom, I pray his jurisdiction in my life. I pray that I would spread the gospel, and I also pray that God's church would advance in this world. I'm going to tell you something. A praying person can't help but be conformed into the image of God. You know a praying person because they look like Jesus. The second thing, a praying person can't help but spread the gospel. You know a praying person because they tell people about who Christ is, and a praying person, number three, you know they've been praying because they love the church. Mm. Somebody who is, somebody who is not spreading the gospel, is somebody who's not praying right, somebody who is not learning to forgive, is someone who's not praying right, not growing in humility, not praying right, and somebody who doesn't love the church but's distant from the church. I'm sorry, but you're not praying. And maybe you might be praying, but today I want you to change your prayer up. Are you with me? The kingdom of God is present. It's the church. The kingdom of God is future. And what do I mean by that? I mean there's coming a day when Christ will come back, his government will reign, and there will be no more pain. There will be no more hurting. We'll be in perfect peace And Jesus himself will be here on earth reigning and he will be our God and we will be his people. Are you with me? It's a beautiful picture in Revelation 22. Beautiful picture that the prophets prophesy: a time of justice, a time of peace, a time where there's no more war. Where swords are turned into plows. We don't have to look very far. We don't have to. It doesn't take very long for us to notice that things aren't perfect in this world. We're in a world full of sin, a world full of suffering. And so the, the kingdom of God is breaking in into our lives. The kingdom of God is being worked through the church. The kingdom of God is being broadcasted. And the kingdom of God is being spread through the gospel. But when Jesus comes back, the kingdom of God will be fully realized. The kingdom of God is in, it's out, it's present, and it's future. And at the end of days, when Jesus comes back and we sit at the end of the age and we sit before him, the kingdom of God will have full reign and sin will be conquered completely. And so it's in, and it's out, and it's now, and it's to come. Are you with me? And so when we say, God, we pray your name, we are praying to a father, and we're praying to a holy father. And when we say your kingdom, we're asking him, change me on the inside. Don't just change my brother, change me. And we pray his kingdom, help me love the church. Help me to serve the church. Lord, I'm praying, help me to get a love for the ministries. And finally, help me to love the gospel and help me to love people so much that I couldn't help but talk about the gospel. May I be a soul winner in 2018. May one person know Jesus in 2018 because of me. Right? Let that be your prayer. One person, not a 100, not a 1,000. You don't need to be Billy Graham. Can one person know Jesus in 2018 because of you? And if you're saying to me, I don't know if I could do that, I get it. Just pray. And I guarantee you the Holy Spirit will begin to do something. Amen. Finally, I'm going to finish with this. Our needs. His interests and then our needs. There's three. He says, give us this day our daily bread. He says, we pray that our forgiveness, we pray for our forgiveness. And finally, we pray for a shielding in temptation. Let me explain this to you. And I I do want to say this. The three needs are lined up like this. So we have two interests, his name, his kingdom, and then we have three needs. Ready? Bread, forgiveness, and a shielding from temptation. And I want you to notice the first thing that's mentioned is bread. And then it's forgiveness, and then it's the shielding from temptation. I just want to say this. There's no hierarchy. One's not better than the other. But I do want to say your physical and your spiritual are tied together. We have too many people that overplay one over the other. It's both. We call these dumb dichotomies. You know what a dumb dichotomy is? It's when you separate two things that shouldn't be separated. Right? And we see it all the time sometimes. And, you know, well, I'm a, I'm a Bible person. Well, you know, I'm a prayer person. This is the prayer people, and here's the Bible people. And they stay on this. I say, no, it's both. It's a dumb dichotomy. You're a Christian. You're a prayer and a Bible person. Yeah. Well, I'm, we're a worship, you know, our, our ministry is more of a worship ministry. You know what I mean? No, 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 you're a Christian, you pray, you worship, you read the word. Well, this is an evangelistic ministry over here. And no, 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 you're a Christian, you pray, you read the word, you worship, and you evangelize. Are you with me on that? Yeah. All these separations, and I get it. Sometimes we do it to learn and to grow, and some people maybe are stronger in this, we need to grow in this. But we are to grow in all of these areas. And so your physical is just as important as your spiritual. I remember one of the first things that was ever told to me, and I really didn't take it to heart until I started to realize it with my body. He said, you know, as a church planter, we're really unhealthy. Our bodies break down. And you're not being a good steward of your body. You know, we're out all the time. We're visiting all the time. We're eating all the time, right? We're driving home. We're stopping at McDonald's late at night after the prayer meeting. We're doing all these things and pouring all this in your body. All of a sudden, you become tired. You become irritable. Your body begins to ache. You do all these different things. You realize that there's a connection, Your prayer life suffers, your ministry suffers, your joy suffers, you become insecure about yourself, and you're no longer an effective person. So we pray our daily bread, and I love it. It's daily. To make it simple, bread refers to our food or those physical needs that we all have for basic nourishment. But this goes beyond these primitive needs for water and food and reaches into the fear that we have to provide for our families. When you pray, pray our daily bread. Jesus says, you know, come to me, come to the Father, and pray about your financial circumstances. He wants you to provide for your family. I remember, I'm going to tell this a long time ago, I felt the Lord was calling me uh, to ministry, and I was really scared about it. I was really scared about ministry because... um, I, didn't, I, didn't, I knew that you don't get paid in ministry. I'm going to be honest with you. We have any people in here like that? Right? You, you won't dare think about going to ministry. You won't even dare think about sending your child into ministry because, you know, pastors are poor. Right? And sometimes we build ministries, and it's like, oh, the pastor got a new car, what's wrong with him? You know, we have all these people that, where are they collecting the offering for? What's about, and it's just like, okay, you're supposed to be poor, broken, homeless, and that's, what you, that's not what God has called us to do. But I used to be so fearful of that, and I was like wrestling with God. I was like, you know what? I don't want to go into ministry. And I remember being at a church service in the evening, and there was an altar call, and I remember going up there, and I remember my prayer is, Okay, here it is, one thing. And it's going to sound silly, and, but this was my heart. I said, you know what, if I go into ministry financially, I want my family to be taken care of. It's the one thing I asked for. I don't want to be rich. You know, I don't want to be rich. I don't need to do all these things. I just want to make sure that my family can be taken for. And you know what, back in the day, you used to think maybe that was kind of an awkward prayer, but Jesus said, no, that's okay. He said, when you pray, pray our Father. Pray his name, pray his kingdom. And say, give us this day our daily bread. He wants to resource you. He wants to, I want to tell you another story, and it's really quick because we're about to end here in a minute. I tell you this other story. I was going to Bible school, so I went to Bible college, and I said, okay, I'm going to do it. And that was a tough decision, right, because you go to college, you go to get a degree so you can go get a job. And you go to get a job so you can make money to live in the Bay Area, amen. It's a struggle out here, right. And nobody, if they want to live in the Bay Area, goes to Bible school, And so I remember going to Bible school, and I remember sitting in front of my counselor, and they were like, okay, you know, I was transferring all my units or whatever. And like, okay, you know, what's going to be your major? And I remember I I wanted to do psychology and minor in biblical studies. And the reason why I want to do that, psychology was like my doubt. (laughs) Psychology was my uh, doubt for the Lord. Psychology is my way of saying, well, if I get my bachelor's in psychology, then I can go out and I can get a job. And I remember sitting there and kind of wrestling with myself, and I was just like, nope. I know what God's called me to do, biblical studies. I was like, but I'll minor in psychology. So I kept a little bit of my doubt. I'm glad a few of you thought that was funny. As I was going through school, school costs money. I thank God for my parents. I thank God for people that came in my life to help me and partner with me along the way. Um, And I remember I'm going through school, and I remember I had a promise from the Lord and I, the promise was this, um, you're going to go to school, but you're not going to go to debt for it. And that was my first test for the Lord. Because I had prayed, if I, go to, if I go full-time in this, if I go full-time into this, then, um, then, you know, I need you to take care of me. Will, if you could play for me. I need you to take care of me. And uh, so I want you guys to hear this story, and we're, we're almost finished. And I remember my first year, two years... I had gotten a little bit of severance pay from a job that I got laid off. My dad, who is amazing, is providing, and, um, and then I had some other help along the way. And I remember my first year, I got, I got to go through this college, private school, and it was really expensive. And that first year, I was debt-free. And I remember going into the summer and saying, well, I don't got no more money. I don't know where it's going to come from. You know, and I, again, I knew my dad had been covering and, you know, no one likes to, you're, you know, you're getting a little bit older. No one likes to lean on their parents, right? And um, I knew I was, I, I was, I was a youth pastor, full-time, and I was uh, going to uh, school full-time, and I was starting a master's commission program, and I, that master's commission program was going to be like a job for me. I was pioneering it, so it was difficult for me to even find a paying job, but there was all these things that were going through my mind, and I remember kind of getting on my knees in prayer, and I remember thinking to myself, God, like, uh, I don't want to go in debt here, and I uh, here's why I want to be careful. I don't want my story to become your story, okay? God will use debt, but just know he spoke, he spoke to me, and I felt Felt like he had told me that I'm going to provide for you every step of the way of your ministry, and I'm going to give you a sign and this sign is gonna be you're not going to go into debt. but here I was almost ready to go into some sort of debt. and, um, and I remember uh, praying and I remember uh, the Lord taking me to John chapter six, right? Because like I said, God primarily speaks to you through His word. right? And, and you speak back to him through prayer. Now, don't get me wrong. He'll whisper some things. The Holy Spirit will grow. But he uses his word to speak. So anybody in here that says, man, I hear the Lord, I hear the Lord. But the word of God's not coming out of you. I would probably turn you around and say, hey, get in the word of God. You might be hearing something else. And so I remember opening up scripture. And I remember kind of reading. Uh, uh, I was just drawn to an area and uh, in um, John 6. And it was the feeding of the 5,000. And I, I was literally praying that day in, the church, in, uh, in, the, in my little church. Um, actually, it was a little house. And I opened it up, and I'm like, gosh, what does this have to do with anything? Right? And so I started reading from the beginning, and I started to read the feeding of the 5,000. And in the first four verses, uh, Jesus is faced with a crowd. The disciples are faced with a crowd. Right? Over 5,000 people are there, and they're hungry, and there's no food. There's no provision. There's no food. And the disciples go to Jesus. In fact, it's Philip who goes to Jesus. Now I felt like when I was reading I was like, "What, Lord? You really put my name in here?" Like I mean like when do you ever read the Bible and like your name pops up? while you're in a need in that moment right i feel like yo you wrote that for me didn't you but i know he didn't but you know i like to think and he did what i'm saying is but you know he did write it for me but you know i wasn't before, he wasn't thinking about me in that moment but it says and philip came to jesus and philip was wondering where are we are going to get all this food from and 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 it's so funny because phil's even sarcastic He's like, you know, even if we had two hundred denarii, we couldn't even, you know what I mean. So he's like, we don't got no money, but even if we had a thousand bucks, we still couldn't feed everybody. Jesus, right? So it was funny because Philip was sarcastic, reminding me of myself, and uh, yeah. and I love it because I love it because written kind of in a parenthesis the note there, what Jesus was. Jesus looked at Philip and asked him, "Where are we going to find food?" And in the in the footnote, in the parentheses, it says Jesus said this because he was testing Philip because he knew already what he was going to do. So he's testing Philip because he knew. So he looks at Philip and says, "Hey, where do you think what's going to happen?" And he knew what he was going to do, but he was testing Philip because Philip and the disciples had walked with him. They had seen what he'd done in the past. They'd seen the miracles in the past, and of course, Philip answers sarcastically. He's like, "Well, even if we had this amount of money, we can't do it." And you're going to read a story. Jesus, he he blesses. He blesses the bread. He breaks the bread. He blesses. He blesses the bread, and then he he gives it out. And everyone is fed. And there's twelve leftovers, twelve baskets of leftovers, and there was more than enough. And I can imagine Philip that day walking home and saying, man, what an incredible lesson I learned today. Jesus is a provider. Yeah, yeah. And I remember when I read that, I was just like, man, that's crazy. Like, why worry about this? Why stress about this? Right? Why worry and why stress about this? This is what God's doing in my life. Why worry and why stress? Right? And I remember as my dad came alongside of me, as, I, as uh, uh, my uncle came, um, my uncle came to me, and my uncle Eli And it was a summer classes that I wanted to take, and the summer were a little more expensive. And he, my grandfather planted a church in Niles, actually, off of Alvarado Niles. So he planted a church in Fremont and Niles a long time ago. Um, And how many, there's about 12 brothers and sisters total? 10, 10 brothers and sisters total. And And then there's tons of grandchildren. And so I am the, my dad's the youngest of the brothers and sisters, and I'm the youngest of the grandchildren. I'm the youngest cousin. In fact, my next cousin's like 48. People think he's my uncle, you know. You, the, those family parties are really boring for me, right. I'm just like a little kid, like, oh, right. So, um, but here's the deal. Um, of all of the cousins and all of the uncles, none of them followed in my grandfather's footsteps the pastor. They had done some amazing things some great men and women of God but nobody had become a pastor and so the youngest son and the youngest son the youngest son of the youngest son the youngest grandson was the only one following in the footsteps of being a pastor I remember that moved my uncle Eli. And I remember my uncle Eli called me, and we started to talk about school and different stuff like that. And I remember before long, obviously, my dad's help along the way. I give a lot of credit to my dad, but my uncle came alongside. And that summer helped me take more courses and classes so I can get through my bachelor as soon as possible. And he came, and he he provided an opportunity for me to go. And I remember thinking, man, Jesus looked at Philip, and he did that to test him. He did that to test him. And, uh, and so we're going to pray. And I know I didn't get to finish the whole thing. But when we pray his name, we're praying to a father. A father says, you're a son. And because you're a son, you have access to everything that's mine. Through Jesus Christ. But when we also pray to this father. We say, hallowed be your name because you're holy. And we come into his presence with reverence and fear and worship. And we say, your kingdom come. We're asking that his jurisdiction will play out in my heart. That his jurisdiction would play out in my mind. We're asking that his jurisdiction would play out in the church. That his jurisdiction would play out in the gospel would be be spread through me. And your kingdom would be spread through those around me. And we pray, give us this day our daily bread. we're praying to a father who's very concerned about providing for you. Right. And then the last two is forgive us as we forgive others. And shield us from temptation. And so as we end this morning... And next week, I'll probably open up a little bit by rehashing some of this because I know we got through this last part. Time got away from us. But this morning, I I just want to pray for you this morning. We kind of bow our heads and close our eyes or just wherever you feel comfortable with um, just for the sake of just a a brief concentration with the Lord this morning. But I want to pray for anyone in here this morning that says, you know what? Um, Prayer has not, if I'm being honest, prayer has not been a priority for me. And as a result, I'm an anxious person. If I'm being honest, prayer hasn't been a priority for me. And as a result, I feel like I look at all of the negative before I see what God wants to do through it. And because prayer hasn't been a priority, I worry about provision. And because prayer hasn't been a priority, I fall into temptation. And because prayer hasn't been a priority, I have failed to forgive people. And so, 2017, the next couple of Sundays, we're going to keep talking about prayer. I want to inspire you and challenge you to go from everywhere and every place to a specific time and a specific place. And here's what I'm going to pray over you, and and then we're dismissed. I'm going to pray that this week that you would find some time to get away and pray. Everyone, in the sound of my voice, I am challenging you this week. You would shut your door. Tell your husband, tell your wife, shut the phone down, take a long walk. But I want to challenge you, will you spend time with God for an hour? And if you don't even know what to say, would you just go back and read Luke 11? And would you just begin to pray the outline that God has provided for us? Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone in this room. I thank you for 2018. I thank you for your word. I thank you that the disciple inspired by the Holy Spirit came up to you and said, Jesus, your prayer life is amazing. Teach me to pray. And I thank you, Jesus, that you took time to recite a prayer that today the church still recites together. Lord, verbatim and also an outline that allows us to leave this place, spend private time with you. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice. In 2018, may we grow deeper in Christ, deeper roots with Christ. And may you do that through private prayer and private devotion. Lord, may we hear you through your word and speak to you through prayer. I pray you would inspire us. And I pray, Lord God, that we'd come back next week, Father, excited to talk about how you met us. You you met us alone, Lord, in a private place. So I pray everyone in here, Lord God, would be moved to speak with you, Lord, this week. We thank you for everything you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. and We'll see you next week.